WaitingForNextYear.com. All right. Uh, we are still waiting as patiently as we possibly can for the start of the uh, NBA season, and it is right on our doorsteps. Um, just want to let everybody know uh, training camp will be opening on Monday the 29th. Um, they'll do the media day um, on that Monday, and then uh, full training camp activities will start after that. It'll be nice. We've got no holdouts this year. Uh, we've got the full team coming in. It'll be nice to get some of the new guys, uh, Delonte West, Wally Zerbiak, and uh, Ben Wallace, uh, all working together with the team. So we look forward to that. Um, a couple other guys of note who will be joining the team for training camp. Uh, we mentioned on the site already Ronald Dupree. Um, another familiar name who will be joining the Cavs is Jawad Williams. Um, he's a former St. Ed um, star. He played college at UNC. And uh, since then, he's been playing in the D-League and overseas, but he did play on the Cavs Summer League team this year, and they went ahead and extended an invite to him for uh, training camp. Um, the Cavs really have one open roster spot, basically. Um, Lance Allred currently holds that roster spot, so uh, but he has a non-guaranteed contract. So if Dupree or uh, Williams is going to make the team, they're going to have to push Allred out of there. Um, so that's pretty much the only uh, roster spot that's up for grabs. So otherwise, it should be pretty much smooth sailing for training camp. And in case you were wondering, the first preseason game is on October 7th at the Q. Um, the Cavs will take on the Toronto Raptors. Um, so with that, that wraps up the cycle, and now we'll head over to the main event. And now, and now the main event. All right, we're here for the main event. And as I mentioned, uh, what we're doing tonight is we're actually going to do a roundtable discussion uh, with Dan and Craig. And what we're going to look at tonight is the state of Cleveland sports. Um, you know, when the Brown season wrapped up last year, I actually caught myself kind of thinking, you know, in my lifetime, I'm sort of in a golden era of Cleveland sports. I said, that, you know, the Indians were just coming off of being one game away from the World Series, basically. Um, you know, the Browns just missed the playoffs. The Cavs were coming off a finals appearance, and everything was looking uh, golden for our Cleveland sports teams. Um, but then this year happened, and things haven't worked out quite the way we thought they would. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at maybe what's going on here and how can we fix them. Um, I think we're all probably in agreement that the Cavs are in the best shape or at least the closest to championship contender. Anybody disagree with that? No, uh, I I think they'll be uh, championship contenders when they fill that last roster spot with uh, Starberry, right? Yeah. <laughs> Something tells me we're not going to see that happen after uh, LeBron's comments about him, but uh, we'll have to keep keep an eye on that. Um, so if if, the, if we're all in agreement that the Cavs are in the best shape, uh, maybe we can debate who's in the worst shape, who's who's the furthest away. Is it going to be harder to fix the Indians, or is it going to be harder to fix the Browns? Um, Craig, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I guess at this point, um, it's it's really probably six of one, half dozen the other. You, you really can't tell. Um, and and the the reason that I say that is because you would have thought that the Indians were were better off, and that the Browns were a close second. But now, with uh, so many question marks on both teams, they're still probably running neck and neck. Um, in in terms of uh, urgency to the city, it's always going to be the Browns before the Indians. So, I mean, I, I guess you'd have to give the Browns just based on popularity because people are always going to be more worried about them than they're going to be worried about the Indians. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Dan, do you have anything? I, I would agree with that last point. I would almost go out on a limb and say that I think the Indians are maybe closer just because the one 
sort of immutable truth in baseball is that good pitching beats good hitting, and I feel like the Indians are further along in developing some good pitching. I mean, obviously they lost Sabathia this year, which is a big loss, but they probably weren't going to have him next year anyway. But uh, with what we've seen out of Cliff Lee and what we've seen in the past from guys like Westbrook and Carmona, assuming they're both healthy next year, I feel like the Indians have a more solid foundation. When I look at the Browns roster, even the areas I thought that they had depth this year, it just looks like they don't. So, you know, if if they end up changing coaches at some point, you know, you have to consider that that's probably going to set them back a little bit. So I would say the Indians, but, you know, to, to sort of agree with Craig, I don't think either of them is knocking down the door at the moment. So, well, but here's a here's a question for you. So last year, and and let's not let's not confuse things. I'm not going to sit here and say that Derek Anderson's performance last year was on par with Cliff Lee's performance uh, this year. You know, as a Cy Young contender, but what are the chances that the Cliff Lee that shows up next year is going to be the Cliff Lee that showed up this year? Well, no, obviously. That's, that's, that's an interesting question because, and, and, it, and it sort of begs the question, you know, do the Indians go into next season and do they think that Cliff Lee is going to be this Cy Young candidate again and do they try to ride it? Well, that didn't work out so well with Sabathia this year. Do the Indians actually consider seeing what they can get for Cliff Lee in terms of a trade? Because we know that the Indians aren't going to be the big spenders. So is it easier to fix the Indians by making trades rather than signing somebody? Well, I, I sort of have a caveat with that that question. To me, there's there's one sort of 900-pound gorilla in the room, and that's that they offered Sabathia $18 million a year, and he turned it down. So does that mean that they're going to spend some of that money on other players, or are they just going to put it right back into the into the bank account and try to, you know, patch patch holes with, you know, retreads and kind of mid-level guys like they've done in the past? That's but, uh, but we've heard this conversation three times now, you know. They offered eighteen million to Sabathia. They offered eight uh, I wanna say it was fifteen or sixteen million a year average to Manny Ramirez and I can't remember how much they offered to Jim Tomey, but it was also that amount of money. And they certainly didn't go out and say, Okay, well we offered this money and we're gonna put it into the team. They just That's kinda true. glossed it over. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. When's the last time the Indians went out and really bid on a big-time free agent. I mean, a lot of these free agents that they've been spending their money on are aging pitchers or pitchers coming off of some kind of injury, whether it be your Paul Birds or Kevin Millwoods. And now, granted, those guys worked out pretty well for the Indians, and I think they were happy with what they got out of them. But the Indians aren't a team that's really been going out and chasing other free agents. They've tried to kind of throw decent money at their own free agents, but they're not going out and signing guys, really, are they? Yeah, not unless you count David DeLucci and Trot Nixon. Right. <laughs> probably the last probably the last big guy if you you know, consider it just from the amount of money they spent was Juan Gonzalez and that was two thousand and one. And before that it was Robbie Alomar and back then he you know, he was expensive at like eight million dollars a year, so Yeah. Yeah, and he, I mean, even Juan Gonzalez was coming off of, you know, his struggles in Detroit. And I don't, you know, that was even sort of a bargain signing for the Indians. They just said, hey, we'll give you this one-year deal. You know, yep. come try try out with us. Yeah. Same story with Kevin Millwood. There were no bidders for him either. Yeah. yeah. So so what are, what are we saying here? Are we saying that, you know, we don't, the Indians won't be a player in the free agent market this year? Or do you guys think that, you know, the time has finally come that they will step up and see if they can improve this team through free agency? I'll believe it when I see it. I don't, I don't fully expect them to go out and do it. 
I think that uh, if they were worried about their credibility with the fan base, which they, they never truly seemed to be worried about that. They just kind of seemed to ride it out. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. It, and it would be easier for me to be critical if I had the name of that guy that I want them to go get. I mean, I'd mm-hmm. love to see Sabathia back here, but at, you know he's probably going to make over twenty million a year if if the bidding war happens the way I think it could, and uh, I I certainly don't expect them ever to be getting you know somebody who's in the top one percentile of all MLB players in terms of salary. So I don't expect them to get him. But after him, I don't I don't even know who's who's going to be available yet. I don't know who I'd want them to get. Yeah, uh, and and I mean when you think about it, especially with a guy like Sabathia. You know, the fact that the Yankees are missing the playoffs is going to create havoc on the free agent market because you know they're gonna they're gonna panic and they're gonna overspend to try and fix their holes. I suspect they'll make a big run at Sabathia, and I think you're right. I think he's gonna get Santana money at least, and there's no way the Indians can match that. Even you know if they check under all their couch cushions and find every last dollar, there's no way that they're gonna be able to compete with that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with all that, and I just I can't help but think that whichever team comes in um, second place in the Sabathia bidding, um, are they going to come knocking on Cleveland's door and say, you know, what are you guys looking for? What will it take for us to get Cliff Lee off your hands? Well, that would certainly be interesting, and, and there's there's a price for everything, and, and I could certainly think of, uh, you know, a player package that would be available for uh, for Cliff Lee, it would be steep, very very steep. But you know, in terms of in terms of trading stocks high, you couldn't trade any higher. And I'm not saying that I'm I'm a proponent of trading Cliff Lee because I, I really, you know, I'm not necessarily looking to run him out of town. You know, because he's he's good and and he's reasonably paid and everything else. But then again, I mean. Part of me thinks that if you're going to trade a stock high, you couldn't sell it any higher than Cliff Lee is right now. At least I wouldn't think so. Well, and then, I mean, obviously they're never going to get a Bartolo Colon type deal again. But if you could get something, you know, in that neighborhood where you're going to get, you know, two bona fide everyday players out of the deal. I mean, I mean, even if the Indians, you know, still give up on Brandon Phillips every time down the road. Those are that was three major league players they got back in that Cologne deal. And well, so they wouldn't you be looking for that kind of talent back. What's that? They wouldn't, they wouldn't be looking for a Bartolo Cologne deal because Cliff Lee is a heck of a lot better right now. He looks a heck of a lot better on paper than Bartolo Cologne ever did. Well, and I think, you know, the fact that, as, as you guys brought up, that he is very cheap right now. Right. I mean, and it's not a rent-a-player kind of thing where, you know, I mean, his his salary is reasonable, and I think because of that you could probably ask for a little more in a trade because the other team's not having to eat a whole bunch of salary. Yeah, I think I, I think for sure the Indians the Indians I don't know that they would they're going to be actively looking to get rid of Cliff Lee. Um, I think no. they're more than happy, of course, to uh, to bring him back. Um, I think more is going to be the issue of would teams possibly kind of ask around though and say, hey, you know, what would what would it take? And when you you know when you look at Cliff Lee, he's not you know he's not very old, and really he's only had one really bad year. Um, but, otherwise, he's had good to average years and then this year uh, he just blew up so it's a little bit of an unknown quantity I suppose with him but I really think there would be some suitors if uh, the, if the Cavs were willing to listen um, but it's interesting that you know we're, we're talking about this and you know we're saying 
okay, do we, will they possibly trade Cliff Lee? Will the Indians actually spend money to get better? And so even though maybe if we think the Indians might be closer to contention right now than the Browns are, I think maybe what we're kind of saying here, though, is that it's going to be harder for the Indians to make that next step, maybe than it will be for the Browns, especially with the parity you have in the NFL. Do you guys agree with that? I think so. I think I think with the Browns, the Browns have an owner who has shown the willingness to, you know, really spare no expense in trying to get a winning team here. And the way that, you know, just the salary cap in and of itself, the way it's set up in the NFL, it makes it easier for teams in markets like Cleveland to get better. Um, you know, and like what we were just talking about, that sort of makes the Indians fighting with one hand behind their back. Yeah, I, I agree with that also. Um, and I, you know, it's, it's it's interesting because only in Cleveland would would somebody be looking at the roster and saying, "Well, I wonder what kind of offers that this team's going to get in the off season for Cliff Lee." <laughs> if this was if this was Boston, L.A., Atlanta, Chicago, you, you know, anywhere other than it, it puts Cleveland squarely in the same camp as Oakland and Minnesota and teams like that. And I'm not saying that's bad company to be in, but it, it really does kind of put us in our place, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is it is unfortunate. I mean, you know, we've already rattled off the names of guys who have who have left the Indians. And it's it's frustrating because, you know, how, as a general manager, how do you how do you improve a team when, you know, just when the players are entering their prime and really peaking, you have to count on probably losing them. So then you them for young guys. And it's like you're constantly in this cycle of trying to just fill in gaps with young players. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think uh, I think I think it's surprising how long we spent talking about the Indians, even though uh, now that they're <laughs> now that they're in within the last five games of their season. So, yeah, that, no, that's and that's that's all certainly true. And I, I just think this is this was an especially frustrating year, uh, you know, watching the Indians get off to such a bad start, and you know, having all the injuries and having to trade Sabathia, and then once they were out of contention, then they started winning, and it's frustrating. But I mean, are we dealing with false hope here, or do we think that these guys are going to play at this level next year when the season starts? I mean, how how big is this gap realistically? How far are the Indians from contending? Yeah. Well, and I, I think a more important question is how how long, and, and I've never been a proponent for firing Eric Wedge, but how what what does it take for him to be on the hot seat? What does what kind of a season does he have to have in order to be to have his job thrown into question? Uh, it's 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 very interesting to me that he's kind of skated by all year. He always have his detractors. People do hate him out there. I know. I've heard them. But I'm not necessarily one of them, and it's odd to me that I don't feel as strongly about hating Eric Wedge as I do some of the other coaches in Cleveland. <laughs> well, and I think that the thing with Eric Wedge is that, you know, a baseball season is such a long season. And, I mean, if you had if you had asked me in July, I probably would have been a lot closer to saying, like, okay, they've probably gone as far as they can go with Wedge. But, I mean, when you look at some of the guys that are trotting out there every night and the fact that, I mean, they've basically been playing over 600 balls since the All-Star break. I, I mean, he has to get some of the credit for that, just like he probably deserves some of the blame for them struggling in the first half. I, I guess I just feel like we've seen it before with this Indians team. Whenever there are expectations, they, they tend to go in the tank. I mean, you could even argue that when they were up 3-1 in the ALCS last year, everybody expected them to win and go to the World Series. 
and they promptly folded up shop and lost three games in a row. So, I mean, whether that's a reflection of Wedge, I don't know. And, and I think at some point, if, if, you know, if this sort of pattern of, you know, they get really close and then they fall back, you know, keeps happening, you have to ask the question like, okay, you know, do they need somebody else to come in to really kind of get them over the hump? Yeah, but it really is amazing. I mean, Eric Wedge is, what is, is this his, what, maybe sixth year already? Is that what it is? 2003 was his first year, so this is six, yeah. Yeah, so he's in his sixth year, and the Indians have gone to the playoffs once under, you know, under his term, and it, it is amazing that when you think of all the coaches and how, you know, a one out of six, you know, for a lot of coaches means that's their walking papers. But I do think it sort of speaks to the state of baseball that I think a lot of us just realize that, you know, we're not playing on a level playing field with the Bostons and New Yorks of the world, that we sort of have this built-in handicap that, well, Wedge is doing the best he can because we can't go get the players that everybody does, or, you know, only four teams make the playoffs, so it's harder to make the playoffs. It's like it, there's all these built-in handicaps that sort of seem to allow us to keep saying, "Well, I guess it's okay." And I, I don't know how I feel about Wedge. I, you know, I think I'm kind of with you guys in that. That sometimes he makes moves that really just has a scratch in our heads, and we say, "You know, this guy can't get it done." And I do think there is something to the fact that this team does not play well when expectations are high. They historically have bad starts under Eric Wedge, and I think a lot of that is because they come in almost every year with high expectations. So I think there. Are is a lot of negatives, but at the same time, you look at the way this team banded together this year, made a run. You think, well, okay, maybe Eric Wedge is all right. You know, and they've they've done this. You know, numerous years they've had these huge charges in the second half of the season to make us look respectable, and then we seem to think, well, uh, you know, Eric Wedge is all right. Um, but anyways, we. Let's maybe transition this then into the Browns a little bit. You know, certainly when we talk about coaches being on the hot seat, um, the Cleveland coach whose seat is definitely the hottest right now is Romeo Cornell's. Um, do you guys think there's any way Romeo Cornell survives this season, Dan? I think he'll. I think that if they, you know, kind of muddle through, they'll keep him to the end of the year just because, you know, if you fire him in the middle of the season, it it kind of sends the message that you basically packed it in for the year. Now, I'll go out on a limb and say that if they lose against the Bengals with the bye week coming up and their own four going in the bye week, I think he does get fired. Yeah, Craig, do you agree with that? Well, I, you know, it was like one of my favorite pastimes was talking about Romeo Cornell. I've been calling for Romeo to be fired since Maurice Carthon. I, uh, I posted on my site last year, I think probably two weeks before the first regular season game that I was officially opening the Romeo Cornell firing bandwagon, and I haven't closed it since. Um, I've wanted him fired and fired and fired. But now, actually, um, I think I've finally been talked out of it um, doing it in season. I, I don't think that it really serves much purpose to fire Romeo Cornell within, inside this season um, unless you think Rob Chudzinski is or some other internal candidate has the potential to be your next head coach. The only reason, the only way it ever makes sense to fire a coach in season is if you have an internal candidate who needs an on-the-job on tryout. And uh, at this point, I don't, I don't even see that as a possibility because the offense has struggled. So I don't, I, don't see, uh, I don't see anybody firing Romeo in season, but I'd still, I'd, I'd fire him the minute the, the end of the season 
happens, even if they make it to the playoffs this year, I'd still fire him. I don't think he's capable of, of coaching in-game, and I don't think he's capable of taking this team to the next level. Yeah, I, I tend to really, I tend to really agree with that. I think that um, we've always seen whenever the Browns win games. I don't know is that I can recall a single game off the top of my head where I felt that the Browns won because of Romeo. Every single time I felt that the Indians are winning in spite of Romeo, and I mean, I mean that's an issue. And so, what what percentage of the blame for this 0-3 start belongs at Romeo's feet? I, I think. It's hard to put all of it at his feet, but, you know, the the thing that I keep coming back to, you know, and it's been discussed, you know, all over the place, is the whole attitude of, you know, it, it really, in the Dallas game, you know, obviously it was a real head-scratcher that, you know, why is he going for a field goal when they're down by 21 points in the fourth quarter? It just didn't make sense. But to me, really, where I lost it was with the, the Pittsburgh game when they were actually in the game and we're driving down the field, and we're, you know, they're at the 20-yard line. You know, you, you've got your timeouts and the two-minute warning. You've you got to go for it to try and tie the game up. And it was, it, it was at that point that I really was just kind of like thinking to myself that he doesn't really seem to bring anything to the team other than the players seem to like him as a person. And that's all well and good, but that doesn't win football games. And, and I think – the the real straw that kind of broke the camel's back for me was as we're watching the team kind of melt down this past Sunday against Baltimore, you know, every shot of him on the sideline, he just has that blank stare on his face. And when you look at the successful coaches, I mean, even as stoic as Bill Belichick is, to think that he would just stand there idly while his team is going down in flames, I just can't picture that. And for me, that's kind of where, you know, the writing's on the wall that this guy really isn't bringing anything tangible to the table for this team anymore. Well, and, and going back to the Pittsburgh game, I'm going to say something a little bit controversial here. I can even justify going for that field goal in the Pittsburgh game because the margin that he went for was a margin that would have allowed him to win the game with a touchdown. I, you know, if I was playing a game of Madden, I might actually consider doing that. But the, the problem for me is that if you are going to go with that strategy, you, you better know how to use your timeouts in conjunction with the two-minute warning. And he totally botched it, totally botched well, it. So you can have one or the other, but you can't botch – you can't do both. You well, can't, I'll even take it one step further than that is that, you, okay, you kicked the field goal. That's great. You've got your timeouts and the two-minute warning. Are, are you, you know – if you're going to kick an onside kick, kick an onside kick. Don't, you know, don't try this weird pooch kick junk. I mean, the Steelers obviously have all their hand players on the field. You know, it almost worked the one time just sort of as a freak of, I think, the wind. Um, but, you know, they were ready for it. So it's either got to kick it deep and try to use your timeouts or you actually got to go for the onside kick. And I, that was, you know, because I, I agree with you. I think when you have essentially four timeouts with the, the two-minute warning, you can justify kicking that field goal. But it was sort of the, the fact that, you know, they didn't really know what they kind of wanted to do, even just on the next kickoff, and then you're right with the timeouts. And, you know, and obviously his replay challenge history is well-documented, so I'm not even going to go into that. But it, it just, it, to me, it's like, what is he bringing to the table? I mean, the defense, which is his strength, is horrible. So, I mean, that right there speaks volumes to me. So then the, the question what's becomes, the, what's that? I said the, the question becomes, do, do you think that the Browns have the personnel that they need in order to compete? Are they just a coach away? 
I don't think they're just a coach away. I think I think they do need a coaching change. Um, I, I do think the coach is definitely a big part of the problem. But putting even just the coaching aside, I had major questions about this defense coming into this year. Just from a personnel standpoint, I don't trust these linebackers. I'm not a big fan of um, any of the veteran linebackers for sure. Um, Cameron Wimbley has been a complete disappointment ever since his rookie year. Um, the lack of depth in the secondary was just frightening and I know there you know injuries and things led to that but still we walked into a season with two guys who were essentially going to be um you know starting the year as starting corners for the first time and I just I don't know when you combine that with the schedule they were set to play I don't know what realistically we should have expected I think I had my blinders on and I said you know I was resting so much on the laurels of what they did last year offensively um but these things have a funny way of you know coming back to the middle and I think we're we're kind of seeing that this year. Yeah, I don't think they're just a coach away. I think um, so. The way I looked at the start of the season, I, I agree re- relative to the defense. Obviously, there are a lot of question marks there. Um, I think you know a lot of people, myself included, were kind of you know convinced that bringing all the big guys up on the defensive line would somehow you know hide some of the other weaknesses on the defense. And I think the team's plan was that, you know, if they could just get kind of a middle of the road, you know, maybe high teens, low 20s ranked defense, that their offense would just be able to outscore some people. And, you know, injuries are obviously a big part on both sides of the ball. But the the thing that I don't see from the coaching staff is I don't see them necessarily scheming to the strengths of their personnel. I mean, obviously – our our linebackers, our outside linebackers, aren't getting any kind of pass rush. You know, you alluded to that talking about Wembley, but when you look at other teams that run the three four, they they mix it up. They send different linebackers and different blitzers on every play. The Browns just don't seem to do that. They don't seem to really try to create mismatches, and they don't seem to really play to whatever strength they have on defense. I don't know that you could really point to one, but. It, the same vanilla defense every time. It's, the, it's going to be the three down linemen and one of the outside backers are, are going to be rushing, and that's pretty much it. And when you don't have a strong secondary and you don't have strong inside linebackers for that matter, that's just not going to work against some of the, the better teams on this schedule. Well, and let's, let's and, be honest, though. Is, don't you think the Browns' defense is probably still, even with all the problems that we're recognizing, they're probably still better than they were last year? They – they ran up against the Dallas team, which is probably the strongest team in the league this year. Um, they didn't play too badly in Pittsburgh, and they they did they give up as many touchdowns as the offense did against Baltimore. And, you know, I, I I don't think that they're near. You know, they're obviously not a great defense, but I think they're better than they were last year. They don't miss, they, despite the fact that they're thin in the secondary. They don't truly miss Bodden because he was he was injury prone and he'd lost a step and. You know, I I don't know. I, he lost, Ben Bowden lost his starting job with Detroit, and if you know he's not starting with Detroit, so I mean, you know, I think that says something. And 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 kind of what the point I was trying to make is that you know I think the defense is better than last year's defense. I mean, they're not great, but I think when when Savage kind of put it together, you know, there's only a, a finite amount of things you can do in one offseason. I think he thought maybe he had patched enough holes that. You know, if you expect that the same offense with the addition of Dante Stallworth is, you know, that they're going to put up the same kind of points they did last year, you could probably get by with the defense we have. The problem is that the offense 
is getting them, you know, so stagnant that they're they're falling behind, and the defense, you know, they still have trouble stopping the run when they need to. Obviously, the Baltimore game showed us that, and you know, the secondary still has some weaknesses, and it. When when the offense of the other team is dictating to you what what's being done, I still just I don't think that they have enough personnel to really keep the Browns in a game when their offense isn't clicking, and that's been the big problem this year. Yeah. Um, so realistically, I mean, as Browns fans, what are we what are we looking forward to? I mean, we're only three weeks into the season, and we're already we're having this discussion as though you know, sort of as if we were in the off season. I mean, our, our are we by de facto looking at us as though we are in the off season? I mean, what are we, what are we hoping for for the rest of the season? Do we, I mean, I think we, it's safe to assume we're not going to be playoff contenders. I think that's pretty obvious. So what are we looking for? Do we just want improvement? Do we, are we hoping for mediocrity? I mean, what are we rooting for as Browns fans? What do we want to see out of this team? Well, I, I unfortunately we have no idea. Um, and, and part of the reason that we have no idea is because our coach is so bad that uh, he didn't even he didn't even commit to an actual personnel change at quarterback. You know, they they kind of hinted around it and they hemmed and hawed. And, and as Terry Pluto wrote today tonight, probably uh, last minute, Romeo made the worst possible decision. But he basically didn't make a decision. He left everybody hanging. He left the players on the field hanging. He left the fans at home hanging. Nobody knows what's going to happen now. Derek Anderson's going to start the game, and everybody's going to be counting the minutes until, you know, he passes some invisible threshold that nobody has any idea what it is, and then Brady Quinn's going to magically pop in the game. Yeah, I, I think I was actually just going to say probably most fans are looking forward to just seeing what Quinn can do. I think. Um, I, I myself watched this past Sunday's game, and, and you know you can't blame the whole game on Anderson, but certainly he had a lot to do with the reason that they lost. And so, you know, if I can take the sort of pundit hat off and put the fan hat on, I want to see what the other quarterback can do because, like you said, we're not going to make the playoffs. It doesn't look like you know. Um, so let's see what we what you have with Quinn because. It's getting to the point where, you know, even if it's not Cornell at the end of this year, they have to make a decision on, on which quarterback they're going to keep because they can't keep both of them. So that's what I'm, I'm really watching for is, is just to see if, if, you know, Quinn can step in and, and be as good as, you know, some people think he can. Um, the other thing I would like to see just sort of on the side is I want to see if Alex Hall can develop into, you know, what we kind of hoped Cameron Wendley was developing into, I think, Somebody on the site pointed out that the effort, the individual effort he made on the one sack he had against Baltimore was, was pretty impressive. And it just looks like he's such an athletic freak that if he can just learn how to play that position, you know, they might have maybe caught lightning in a bottle with a, you know, with a late-round pick. So that's, those are the two things that I'm kind of looking forward to and watching for. Yeah, I think we're all just in agreement. This is a pretty depressing season, and it's unfortunate that we're sitting here, like I said, going into week four. And you know, I mean, the the, the things we're looking for, we, we you know, we want to see what our backup quarterback can do. You know, we want to see what some of the young guys can do. I mean, it's just unfortunate that we uh, that we find ourselves in this situation right now. But um, switching then from a depressing situation, let's go ahead and let's cover. You know, we got to at least end this with some positivity. I mean, you know, <laughs> it, like, 
Yeah. I mean, you know, we're sitting here, you know, comparing our coaches' coaching ability to our own coaching ability in playing Madden, and I think that speaks volumes about uh, the coaching situation. I just think it's depressing all around. So let's 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 talk about the Cavs. Um, the Cavs are our last hope to save this calendar year. Um, so, but I think things are looking pretty good for the Cavs. I like I like that they're coming into the season um, with a lot of harmony. That you know, the roster's pretty set. Um, you know, the last. A couple times that they came into training camp with a full roster, they went 50 and 32 back-to-back years. It was only last year when they had, they had the holdouts, and there was finally some sort of discontent that they took a step backwards. But I think this year they're going to take a big step forward. Um, what are you guys looking at? What, what kind of let, let's just start by what kind of record do you guys think realistically the Cavs can look at this year? Dan, we'll start with you. Um, I. I would expect them to win. I mean, this is going to sound like a cop out. I, I think they'll win. You know, between forty-five and fifty. Again, I don't know that. You know, they have the depth to you know really do like what a Boston did last year or what Detroit has done. You know, a couple of years ago in the East. But I think that that's going to be good enough to you know get them in you know the fourth or the third spot. Um, if I had to pick a number, I'd say forty-eight wins this year. And Craig, what do you have on that? Well, I, you know, I, I certainly think that they can be right around fifty, and then the plus or minus is all. It all depends on two things, and I think I've written about this before. It depends on number one, does Mike Brown have any kind of an offensive plan for this team, and do the do the different talents that are on this team, Mo Williams and everybody, do they find a way to come to some kind of a cohesive offensive plan, game in and game out? And number two, you know, the intensity that LeBron played in the Olympics, um, if LeBron decides that it's worthwhile to go after that number one seed, I think the Cavs can challenge uh, Boston and Detroit uh, for, the, for the top record in the East. But if, if LeBron decides that it's going to be a little bit easier to just kind of coast on through and make it to the playoffs and then, you know, worry about all the rest of it once they hit the playoffs, then they're probably going to be right around 50. But I think if LeBron wants to and LeBron puts his mind to it and makes it a team goal, they could end up being, uh, you know, number one or number two in the East. Yeah, I think uh, I think the one thing that the Cavs have going for them is the bottom half of the Central Division. I don't think Milwaukee is going to be a good team at all. I don't buy into what they're doing over there. Um, I don't like uh, what Chicago is doing. I just I, I'm not a big fan of the way that team looks. Uh, Indiana, <laughs> you know, Indiana is an interesting team because they're they're loaded with guys who are right about. Average, just a bunch of average, maybe slightly above average players, which is sort of a bizarre makeup of a team. But I do think that Indiana could be one star away from being a very good team. But as it is right now, I don't expect them to be a very good team. So that's, you know, three teams that they're going to get to play an awful lot that the Cavs are definitely a better team than. So I think that will help them um, with, with their record this year. And I mean, selfishly, or maybe it's not selfishly, I don't know, but I want the Central Division. I'm tired of Detroit winning in the division every year, and I want to see Cleveland get there. The problem is Detroit won 59 games last year. Um, 
you know, they didn't lose anybody yet. I mean, you know, they have a new coach, so we'll see what, how that works out. Um, there's still a lot of talk of, you know, maybe Rasheed Wallace getting moved. Uh, you've heard Chauncey Billups' name up there. So they're sort of in limbo a little bit. But, I mean, I don't know how big of a regression we're really looking at out of Detroit. I mean, if they play seven games worse than they did last year, that's still 52 wins, and that's going to take quite a step forward from the Cavs to get to. Um, what do you guys think? Realistic chance for Cleveland to win this division this year? I, I certainly think so. I I don't understand, you know, understand that it's it's a tough thing to do, but the Cavs have all the all the things that they've ever wanted to to have going their way are now going their way. They they don't have the holdouts. They've got return players. They've got the guys like Ben Wallace in in the roles where they're going to be, you know, doing the things that they're supposed to be doing and they're going to be doing them from the beginning of the season. They also have uh, the biggest bargaining chip in the league to, to go after that one additional piece in the middle of the season. And I, I don't know. It's going to be up to chemistry, but I don't, I don't see why they shouldn't be able to improve vastly on what they did last year. And, and those head-to-head matchups with Detroit are going to look a lot different with Mo Williams and Delonte West uh, running the point at different times. Yeah, I, I think that if everything goes right, they they can make a run at it. I think for me, the the biggest thing that I I keep waiting for here with Detroit is that you got to figure at some point, you know, age is going to catch up with some of these guys. I mean, they get they get a lot of minutes from guys like McDice, who you know, his knees what is made out of paper mache at this point. For for the Cavs, that's sort of the the big thing. Also, is they had a lot of guys hurt last year. Um, you know they can't they can't lose any of their big men for extended periods of time just because they don't really have the depth anymore. They 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 gave up Smith and they're counting they, that would be counting a lot on Hickson I think to to play a lot more minutes you know maybe than he's ready for especially if it were to happen early in the season. But you know like like you're also saying we we don't really know what's going to happen with Mo Williams. I think that if if they scheme their offense right and allow him to do what he's best at and allow them to set up without. LeBron having to have the ball 25 feet from the basket at the top of the key, I think that they're going to be that much better on offense, you know, just just from the fact that LeBron's going to be, he's not going to get double and triple teams every time he picks the ball up at the top of the key. So, you know, assuming they stay healthy and they gel and, and they do all those things, then, yeah, I think they can make a run at it. But that's, there's a lot of ifs there for me. Yeah, and you do you do wonder at at what point is you know not that you would wish injuries on anybody, but Detroit has been remarkably healthy uh, exactly. through the past you know four seasons. That at some point with these aging players, you do think that injuries are going to have to catch up to them. Um, so that'll and be with, interesting. And with Cleveland last year, that was one of their most unfortunate things, is through no fault of their own, really. They had so many guys just battling different things throughout the year that they never really, and especially with the trade then, they never really had a chance to throw the same five guys out there every night for a long period of time. And yeah. if they can do that this year, I think, you know, if they, if they get a good rotation and they can, you know, run that rotation out every night, then I think they have a chance to, you know, make a run at maybe like 53, 54 wins. But, you know, you're counting on a lot of things that you just really don't know how they'll play out yet. So, yeah. And I do think that the the one danger facing this Cavs team is an injury to 
the Janus Ogowskis um, or uh, Anderson Bereja or Ben Wallace, if any one of those guys get hurt, and you know, and we're not talking about young guys here, uh, well, with the exception of AV, but if any one of those guys get hurt, it could really derail this season for the Cavs, and that's the one danger that's staring at me in the face with this team, and it's it's what I'm scared to death of, and that's why I think Danny Ferry's hand is kind of forced here. I mean, I, I he has to trade uh, Wally Zerbiak for a big guy, I think, and you know. Know, maybe they'll package it with Eric Snow's contract or something like that. But I think Danny Ferry's going to have to bring in somebody else that can help us, don't you guys think? Yeah, and I wonder, um, you know, who do you think they might be able to go after? I, I don't know who's getting to the point where they might be on the block. Well, that, you know, and those situations are always awfully fluid in the NBA. Um, you know, there's always a team who – you didn't think was going to underperform to the extent that they did, where, you know, something's not working anymore. And so I think right now maybe it's a little bit hard to predict. And, you know, even Mo, you know, even looking at like a trade with Mo Williams, nobody saw Mo Williams being on the radar until, you know, a week before that trade happened. All of a yeah. sudden you heard Mo Williams' name out there. So it, it, it's a little bit hard to predict. But I, I think that Ferry is going to have to be proactive at some point or else we're going to have to all keep our fingers crossed that, you know, that Zajernis and Ben Wallace can stay healthy all year. Yeah. Well, call me, an, call me an optimist, but uh, one of those guys getting hurt might actually be um, a blessing in disguise because wouldn't that force the Cavs to go small with LeBron running the four? How amazing would that look? Yeah. Well, and also it might it might prompt Ferry to really go out and and go after a deal in a really creative way to try and get somebody else in there. Um, you know, I I think that LeBron doesn't really seem to have any interest in learning like a post-up game. I think if he ever did, he could be just unbelievably unstoppable, but he seems to be more interested in kind of breaking guys down on the dribble and getting to the, you know, getting his points that way. And, and if they could run out a small lineup, I think it would be great. I think they oftentimes get out and move better when they're small. I mean, when you don't have Elgowskis and Wallace plodding up and down the floor, it speeds the tempo up just that by itself. But I don't know. I I, I think that, you know, I think that they, they're going to have to go out and, and get somebody. And I think the good thing is that if last year taught us anything, it's that Ferry's not afraid to get creative and really go out and make a huge deal. So, yeah. And I, you know, one guy who could eventually become available could be Joe Smith. Uh, Joe Smith could be available to come back at some point um, because, you know, he he's not going anywhere. You know, with with Oklahoma City, they're not going anywhere. And so, you know, if push comes to shove, if they absolutely come into an emergency situation, they could get creative and come up with a way to get Joe Smith back, I think. I certainly wouldn't be opposed to that. No, I like I, I I thought he was having him in the playoffs was huge. Just the fact that he can, you know, he brings another guy that can bang down low and can hop out and make that mid range jump shot and and can make free throws on this team. That's the probably my favorite thing that he brought to the the team in the playoffs is that he you know you put him on the foul line and he makes his free throws. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, maybe try to wrap this up here. Um, what maybe what we'll do is we'll go around and we'll give everybody their final word. Uh, maybe just a brief statement or sort of a summary of where Cleveland sports are at. Do you, are we on the verge of winning a championship with any of these teams, or are we going to keep waiting? And uh, we'll start with you, Craig. All right. Well, I uh, 
Obviously, I think the Cavs are on the verge, but I'm going to use my, my parting shot here to just say that uh, two out of the three coaches here in Cleveland are uh, are on the hot seat as far as I'm concerned. And, and I'm not talking about Eric Wedge yet, but uh, I am looking at Mike Brown. And as far as I'm concerned, um, if this Cavs team doesn't come out and doesn't play with, offen- with a, an offensive game plan and they don't play with an intensity, uh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be screaming and yelling because the uh, the clock is running, time's a wasting, and we can't we can't survive too much more time without some kind of a plan on this Cavs team with with the players we have and the moves that have been made. Time is of the essence. That's my parting shot. All right, Dan. Um, well, the state of Cleveland sports, I think, I think. Like Craig said, this year with the Cavs is probably our best shot. Unfortunately, it seems to me that we're sort of bridled with the double-edged sword that anytime one of our teams shows any kind of promise, something invariably happens, whether it's just that the team isn't as good as we thought it was in the case of the Browns or even the Indians or, you know, injuries happen or whatever. But, you know, right now I think that the Cavs are probably – the best shot that we have and, and will be the best shot that we have as long as they have LeBron. Um, unfortunately for the Browns, you know, I think it's going to be a really long year this year. I, I, unless we see some dramatic improvement from this team, I look at the schedule and I don't see more than three or four wins on it. And that's, you know, the sad fact, but I guess in an eternal Cleveland fan fashion, you know, at least we can look forward to who will be picking in the top five of the draft. So, that's pretty much the state of Cleveland sports right now, I think. Okay, and uh, I'll, I'll just kind of uh, sort of summarize it by saying that, you know, it, we're in a rough spot right now, no doubt about it. It's a frustrating time to be a fan of Cleveland sports, but um, the biggest thing I'm going to try to do as much as I can is not not view this too narrowly. Um, I do think that there are some fairly easy fixes for the for the teams that are struggling. Um, I think that the uh, with the Indians and with the way baseball works, you, you never know how a team's going to turn out, and I do think the Indians have a good chance of uh, rebounding next year. Um, and it's, even the same thing with the Browns, I think. Uh, I, I want to see next year, maybe we don't have all these injuries in camp and in preseason, and maybe they can come in uh, healthy, and maybe they'll have some stability finally at, at, at quarterback, and maybe they'll have some stability with uh, coaching, and you know maybe that's a lot of what ifs, but I do think it's possible for things to get turned around. But definitely the bell of the ball right now, as far as Cleveland sports is concerned, is the Cavaliers, and uh, I'm just very thankful right now that uh, the NBA season is rapidly approaching us, and hopefully we'll have something that can lift our spirits. So um, that's going to wrap it up for us for this week. Um, as always, uh, we want to give thanks to Bob over at Cavs Board for producing the podcast. We appreciate all the hard work he does for us. And uh, remember, you guys can always send us an email, podcast at waitingfornextyear.com. And uh, feel free to send us in any questions, ideas, suggestions, anything that's on your mind. And hopefully we can cover that in future podcasts. So uh, for now, thanks to Craig and Dan for joining me tonight. And uh, we'll check you out next week. Thanks. Strike three called ball game. This has been the waiting for next year.com podcast for complete coverage of the Browns, Indians, Cavaliers, and all your Cleveland teams. Log on to waiting for next year.com. Contact us on the internet. Thank you. And good day.